0: 10 it's got the code, it's going to launch It's a Unix system
1: I know this It's all the files of the whole park It tells her everything
0: Sir, he's uploading the virus Eagle One, the package is being delivered They
1: are the hacker's hacker that nobody knows. In fact, nobody even knows if they're just one person or several. All we know is Phineas Fisher has hacked, embarrassed, and exposed some of the world's most powerful spyware companies that have connections to places like the FBI, the DEA, and dozens of other law enforcement and spy agencies all around the world. Then, they vanish completely without a trace. Through these exploits, Motherboard reporter Lorenzo Franceschi Bichirai has been one of the premier reporters on the beat. He's interviewed the infamous hacker several times. Well, we've made contact with Phineas Fisher again. I'm Ben Maku, and this is Cyber.
0: It was the summer of 2014. I think it was the week of Black Hat and Con, which made it uh, pretty funny, actually, when this happened. So someone... At that time, someone hacked into the servers of FinFisher, uh, this German-British company that makes uh, spyware for governments all around the world, and uh, dumped uh, all they could find online. Uh, So this was a pretty classic uh, hack and leak operation. Uh, The goal was ostensibly to embarrass the company and damage it as much as possible, uh, to give To give listeners some context, Finn Fisher has been in the news, uh, especially during those years, for selling spyware to questionable governments like Ethiopia, um, other Middle Eastern countries. They used it to spy on dissidents and journalists. So this was clearly an attempt to, you know, um, get some revenge and punish them for their alleged crimes, I guess the individual that took responsibility called themselves Phineas Fisher, sort of a play on the name of Finn Fisher. And they came out on Reddit on the r slash anarchy subreddit, which was a very interesting choice. And um, it it was clear that whoever it was um, had like some anarchistic ideals and sort of, you know, anti... Anti capitalist and anti surveillance ideals. After this, the hackers completely disappeared.
1: And then when did you hear about them again?
0: So, fast forward a year, almost a year, in July of 2015, a hacking team, the main competitor of Finn Fisher, gets hacked and uh, all their stuff gets dumped online, very much in the same fashion as Finn Fisher.
1: And we're talking, you know, company emails. Source code,
0: yeah, internal emails, uh, data, um, very embarrassing documents, stuff. financial doc uh, stuff, spreadsheets, and as you said, the source code, which was very bad because then at that point anyone could just download it and make their own hacking team spyware. Um, and obviously, clearly, this was um, this was a big problem for customers because they had to stop their operations to uh, recover from the hack. And I covered that hack, and I initially, immediately I thought, could this be the same person? I mean, Hacking Team and FinFisher are very similar companies. The The way that the hack happened was very similar. I just had a gut feeling that this was maybe the same person. So at the time, the Hacking Team Twitter account followed me, and it was under the control of the hacker. So I DM'd them saying, hey, I'm a journalist, can we talk? Um, and they agreed, and we chatted for a while, and then... Uh, the hacker used this old uh, Twitter account that they created for the FinFisher Fisher hack to claim responsibility for the hacking team hack as well. So by using their old Twitter account, they proved that they were the same person or the same group. Um, and what was interesting after that was that they, instead of disappearing like they did the year before, in this case, Fin Fisher stayed. They remained, and on Twitter. Uh, they tweeted here and there. They trolled the um, hacking team and other spyro companies. Um, and they didn't really... They didn't disappear like they did the year before. And then months later, they had more hacks. Um, they hacked the uh, police union in Spain. Then they hacked the uh, Turkish government. And... They were clearly trying to inspire more people to, get, to become hacktivists. They published some manifestos saying, you know, it's time to take control. It's time to fight back against, you know, capitalism and sur- this surveillance society and companies like Finn Fisher and Hacking Team. And they were trying, they were clearly trying to encourage more people to join their cause. So, what does the
1: InfoSec community at this point think about Phineas Fisher?
0: Phineas Fisher has always been an interesting character for the InfoSec community. Everyone has always agreed that the hackers are very skilled. So it was clearly the work of someone that knew what they were doing. Um, so everyone was always very curious about who they were. You know, it
1: always seems to me that Phineas Fisher kind of comes up among InfoSec people as sort of one of the world's, you know, the world's best hackers in this very classical old school way that, you know, the community used to be about, right? Like it's sort of like the lulsec hackers. These are people that are very skilled, and they're kind of the burn-it-down anarchist types. But this is somebody who repeatedly has gotten away with it.
0: Yeah, he's, he's a very interesting character. He's funny. His write-ups are detailed. You know, People were very impressed when he published um, how he hacked uh, both Finn Fisher and Hacking Team because he went into all the details, explained very well all the step-by-step. And uh, and also he it, it was funny and interesting. You know, when um, a few years ago when we interviewed, it, when you interviewed him for the cyber war episode, Finis uh, Fisher requested to be represented by a puppet, and that was like something that no one had, had ever thought before. And people still talk to me about that um, that yeah. interview. I mean,
1: that was one of the one of the highlights of my journalism career. I'm, yeah, I got to, to a Got to talk to a puppet. Use go. my skills in a real serious way. Um, but yeah, that sort of embodies it though, right? It's, it's like that kind of trolling, like we got trolled there, but it was kind of a trolling I was willing to accept. And it was an interesting sort of execution of old school hacker culture. And it was a literacy within that that made me think, okay, this is, this, this can't just be, you know, some government op in disguise because government ops very rarely have any understanding of hacker
0: culture. It also, like, the fact that they stayed around and remained on Twitter and tried to rally troops and, you know, encourage other people to join the cause, that does not seem what a government would do. So, yeah, it really seemed like the person was, or the people behind the, you know, the persona truly believed what they were saying. And I've interviewed them many times and I didn't really feel like they were different people. I always felt like it was the same people. But, you know, it's over email or chat, it's pretty hard to tell. Uh, But even years after our first conversation, they were able to reference um, what we talked about in one of those first conversations that was never published. So that gave me this feeling that, yeah, it was still the same people.
1: So what are some of the theories surrounding who Phineas Fisher is?
0: There's been there's been many and it depends who you ask. So I think the leading theory still is that this person or group of people was just a hacktivist. Um and the Italian authorities appear, seem to agree with this. Uh last year we obtained a, um sort of report that Italian investigators, police investigators wrote after the hack. And, uh, you know, they followed all the leads, all the trails, and eventually they concluded that the hack was motivated by political uh, reasons, and that meant that likely the hackers were activists rather than anybody else.
1: So Joe Mann, uh, a veteran Reuters cybersecurity reporter, comes out with a book on The Cult of the Dead Cow on hacktivism, and in it, there's a reference to the origins of what some of the US intelligence community believes about Phineas Fisher.
0: Yeah, Joseph Mann presented a different theory. Uh, he reported that the US intelligence has privately concluded that Phineas Fisher is likely a Russian government operation. He didn't really go into the details of how they reached that conclusion, um, but it is a theory that makes some sense.
1: I think it is at least as plausible that Phineas Fisher is a Russian operation uh maybe through a cutout than it is that he she it is what he she it purports to be, which is a like a politically motivated, uh, morally crusading, you know, super talented hacker. So it's more like, you know, looking at the sort of the evidence I gathered, a lot of it's circumstantial. It seems more plausible that it's Russian. And I, I can go into why, but I would say I had sort of worked that out on my own. And then I ran it by some people connected to Western Intel, and they're like, yeah, duh. And, I, you know, I don't always believe Western Intel. And, you know, they didn't give me inside information except to say, uh, and I quote one of them, James, James Lewis, who is well-connected to Intel folks, um, as saying, you know, that's the assumption.
0: At least because we have seen similar operations from the Russian government. Uh, so a few years ago, a group claiming to be the cyber caliphate hacked into this French TV channel, uh, TV5 Monde, took it offline. And then on Twitter, this group claimed responsibility. Years later, though, uh, investigators concluded that this cyber caliphate was just a fake uh, persona created by APT28, which is Russian intelligence. Something similar happened with a group that called themselves uh, the Yemen Cyber Army. They hacked a Saudi company and you know they came out and claimed that they were like some sort of a Ye- Yemeni um fighting yeah, kind of group organization activists uh but then again it turned out that it was actually again the russian government so this is this is a, a strategy that they have employed before so it does can kind of, it, it is possible it makes some sense uh what doesn't add up completely is that uh Men claims that Finas uh, Fischer's last hack, which was against the Turkish ruling party AKP um shows that Finas uh, Fischer has some sort of um is aligned with Russian government interests but that that hack was kind of strange, and also at the time I'm not sure that Turkey and Russia were on the the best terms I just I think the motive is it's not enough to prove that so I mean have you
1: Did you talk to Phineas Fisher recently and ask?
0: After the book came out and I saw that paragraph, I emailed them immediately and asked, hey, what's what's up? Have you seen this? Uh, What are your thoughts? I'd be curious to know what you think. Um, And they responded that uh, it was ridiculous. Um, They said that it was almost so dumb that it didn't uh, deserve a response. But eventually they explained that, yeah, the theory just doesn't add up because... At the time, Russia and Turkey were not on good terms, uh, and it just didn't make sense for the hack to be politically motivated in that sense from the Russian perspective. And they also explained how the um, controversial emails that uh, sort of doxed a bunch of um, Turkish women ended up uh, on WikiLeaks. Finis Fischer said that they shared the emails with um, someone in Rojava, which is an autonomous region between Turkey and Russia, Uh, that Phineas Fisher supports because they're like anarchists. And uh, the goal there was for them to look at the emails to see if there was anything um, useful for their cause. But what happened was that Phineas Fisher's uh, contact in Rojava shared them with somebody else who had contacts with WikiLeaks with the request not to publish anything until they told them to do so. But WikiLeaks ignored this and after the failed coup uh, that summer, they just published everything, which was not what Phineas Fischer wanted, nor what his contacts in Rojava wanted. So so th- this sort of contradicts the theory that he was just working for the Russian government and trying to push their political agenda.
1: So Phineas Fischer gave us a statement to read, right?
0: Yes. Uh, Phineas Fischer agreed to respond to Joseph Semen's uh, reporting on the condition that we got someone with a thick Russian accent to read his message.
1: So not 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 quite a puppet this time, but
0: yeah, hard to hard to use a puppet on a podcast.
1: Okay, so without further ado, here is Phineas Fisher's statement in a heavy Russian accent.
0: Some very important context that
1: no one talked about is that a year earlier, Russia and Turkey had a diplomatic incident which had been entirely resolved before the hack happened. So I'm not really sure what my point with that was. But anyway, Russia was AKP's strongest supporter during and after the coup attempt. So why would they want to attack AKP? because we all know Russians are tricky bastards that like to play both sides and stir shit up. The most logical explanation is clearly Russia. The dude is stuck in the Cold War. I guess he never got the memo that America's boogeyman is Arabs now, not Russians. Why not blame Iran? Personally, I feel like I'm more of a charming kitten than
0: a fancy bear.
1: You know, I think the thing about Phineas Fisher to me that's the most interesting is just the mystery and sort of this phantom quality. It's almost as if I kind of like as a story that Phineas Fisher is being accused of being a Russian hacker. It just sort of continues with this hacker anarchic legend.
0: Yeah, I think uh, on one hand, I would love to know who Phineas Fisher is. But on the other hand, it's such a better story if we never do. You know, it's kind of like Satoshi Nakamoto. You know, it's like it's a mystery that lives on to itself and that leaves the door open for so many theories and speculation. And that is the most interesting part of the story at this point. You know, the Fisher hack and Hacking Team hacks were very important. But what really matters now is that this person is still around. And despite having embarrassed two companies that had, you know, very powerful customers and connections all over the world, Uh, this person or people are still around, you know, um, typing on a keyboard ready to strike again.
1: There's something very Robin Hood about it.
0: Yeah, for sure. And uh, that is something that doesn't happen very often anymore in the InfoSec world.
1: No, no, it doesn't. Well, thank you, Lorenzo.
0: Thank you, Ben. This week's
1: episode was edited and recorded by Andrew Bursick, produced by Lorenzo Franceschi Bichirai, hosted by yours truly, Ben Maku, and the voice actor we used, his name is Moti Margolin. Shoutouts to him for being the voice of an infamous hacker. We'll see you next week. Hi.